0: gardening program. On this uh, slightly snowy Saturday morning in spots, Spotsport, Cork, sure and, and in, your, in your part of the world Absolutely, anyway. Absolutely,
1: I can testify to that. I, I, I was, was being up this a morning. bit
0: flippant uh, to hear about the few bits of snow, but you say <laughs> that it's more than just oh. a little bit. Around
1: Westporting okay. and Castlebar and Ball. yeah, there's a nice sprinkling of snow. I had to get the brush out on the car this morning, but it's still very drivable. The, yeah. the road conditions are fine, but uh, certainly the snow knocking about. So I think the weather forecast is uh, very, very accurate. Okay. A lot of frost tonight as well, so we're down to zero or, or you Around at least grass frost, anyway. So, again, people with any tender plants in glass houses or tunnels or keep
0: them inside, keep
1: them covered with Mm. fleece and and do protect them so that frost would would do some damage. Yeah, but snow not going around. But tomorrow's looking good again. But tomorrow's looking good, and And I think next week it's going to be milder.
0: Excellent. Well.
1: That's what they say. Yeah, that's anyway. what they say. That's what we're hoping for. Okay. But things that want to pick up a small bit.
0: You were um, out, out and about last Saturday after the programme you stopped off in Kilshamaw. I was. Yeah. I, I was
1: actually very impressed a couple of weeks back mm. um, back I think before St. Patrick's Day I was actually shooting through Kilshamaw and uh, there was as I call it a metal going on. There was a a huge amount of people.
0: A gathering of people. A
1: gathering of people, yeah. And and with power washers and sprayers and paintbrushes. And uh, so it intrigued me what Mm. was going on. And uh, about a week later, I got a a phone call from a chap called Dundee. And he has a particular project, a gardening project in Kilchimau uh, and and has organised a metal around that as well. So I thought last week I'd stop off and we'd have a chat with Dundee and see what they're up, up to in, in Kelchema. Okay. So here Let, it is. Let's
0: take a listen. I'm here in
1: Kelchema, in the centre of the town, with one of the characters of the town, a man called Dundee.
2: Good morning, Dundee. Good morning, Mr. Hawken. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I was uh, sent home from Australia 20 years ago to come to Kelchema to rescue it. And I think I've been doing a good job and I just want to give back to the people here in Kelchema from what my father came from Trinical era, And I'm very proud to be uh, involved with the Tidy Town Committee and the enhancement
1: of the town. Now, I passed through Kilchima about three weeks ago. uh, Coming from the studio, I was heading back to to the garden centre, and I noticed about 30 or 40 men, a metal going on in the middle of the town with power washers, with paintbrushes. So you're involved in that community spirit, aren't you?
2: Yes, indeed. Um, We called out a lot of people to help us in the community. We got some beckers, we got some paint, and we got some power washers, and we started doing it. And that's what we said, and we are doing... People that you know need it, like elderly people. They can't get out on a ladder anymore. So we're going to be uh, involved in helping them clean up their houses and, and clean up the town.
1: And it's great to see that community involvement. I mean, I was very impressed the amount of people that were out that day. But this, we're standing on a, a site in the middle of the town that you hope to build a peace park.
2: That's right. That's right. This is a garden that we hope to get sorted uh, for the for the community of kelchimar for mainly for the children and the elderly people, so they can actually have somewhere to sit, relax, read a book and we're going to dedicate a special corner for a little fairy garden for children that uh, have passed away and several uh, other families that want to donate things to us. We thought, well, the best idea would be to put some plaques up and we'll put some names up, and uh, we're going to start from there. Yeah, starting the fairy garden.
1: I think that's a great idea. It'll be a lovely way to get the children involved and and a lovely team as well, and the kids will be able to come down and see the fairy garden and walk through it. It's a fantastic idea. Now, the ground is literally bare soil. There's nothing in the garden as we speak. So what's the
2: process? Well, the process is, uh, thanks to uh, Hawkins, uh, they're going to help us with some flowers and everybody else is in the community helping us. We've got a designer from Dublin coming up and she's doing the design for free. We've got everybody chipping in. We've got Roadstone. We've got other companies. We've got the council on board. And this will be in three weeks' time. A paradise. And I believe that Anne Sweeney is, is helping you out from Mayo
1: County Council in particular.
2: Yes, yeah, she tries to throw me out of the office, but yes, yeah, she, uh, she's the greatest, Anne Sweeney, and, and the crew there in council, they've helped us every day, and, and to Murray's and to all the, all the people that's going to give us a hand here on this site. And you'll see it in the paper because I'll make sure that the mayor of Kilchoman will be photographed.
1: And really, from a waste piece of ground, you're going to turn this into a peace park and also a themed fairy garden—a lovely idea for the children. Um, so look, we're we're totally committed to it. I'm going to supply all the plants that you're going to need for for the garden. And uh, I'm I'm going to be so delighted to see the transformation over a couple of weeks. How, how many people in, in Kelchumar are you going to get involved?
2: Well, they're probably, when we send the message out, there could be about 55 people involved in it. So That's fantastic. We've got a project manager, Mr. Dimbleby, and he's going to take care of everything. And we're just, you know, a community effort, as you can hear the tractor behind us.
1: It's absolutely brilliant. I'm delighted to be involved and uh, we'll work together in getting the garden completed over the next couple of weeks. So the design is the first part yes. and after that it should fall, all fall into yes, place. Indeed. Indeed. Look, look Dundee, it's been an absolute pleasure. You're, you're a credit to the town and it's great to see um, all the volunteers and the whole community coming together. for, an, As we call it in Ireland, a metal. I'm That's the gathering of people to yeah. to to do a project uh, in a community area.
2: So look, it's fantastic and well done. No, thank you, Mr. Hawk, and Thanks for your time. There
0: you go. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. 55 people is uh, no mean feat by any means.
1: And it's right there just in the uh, centre of of Kilchimaw. So I'm looking forward to getting involved. Now I need to check in with them and see how the design is coming along. Because that's coming from Dublin. (laughs) They've they've roped in a a landscape designer in Dublin to do the design, which is great. And a lot of other companies as well, Roadstone and Murray Furniture. And also the council have been very supportive in it. And it's great how they've given empowered the community to actually get on with the project. So it's something we're going to... I'll, I'll drop in maybe... Maybe in two weeks' time, Great. I'll do another recording and see see where the guys are at.
0: Yeah, I, um, I know there is an, an initiative through local authorities, the Town Teams initiative, at the moment, uh, where I suppose some of this can kind of come about, and it provides a forum and indeed a network for um, for work like this to, yeah, to be achieved. Yeah, gives real and ownership. Yeah. So, but well done to everybody in Keltymart there. But I know there's lots of communities who Absolutely. are working across there the region are indeed. Uh, through and in conjunction with the Town Teams as well, yeah. um, achieving uh, big wins and small yeah, wins and for the whole community together and gives
1: ownership to people, so it's fantastic.
0: Brilliant so stuff. There you go. Okay, I'm um, turning my our attention to a letter first of all Pork that came in and actually this came in uh during the week the previous week but I had it left on my kitchen you table apologies it, did you? yeah yeah yeah. No, I didn't <laughs> misplace it but I was trying to be super organized go and on. that doesn't always work. Anyway, Shoot. we were talking about composting a couple we of weeks back. So Paul wrote in to say he always listens to the program so good morning to you Paul and thanks very much indeed for the letter. Um he was a little surprised, finds it really good, but a little surprised that we informed a person with question on composting waste-cooked food last week that he shouldn't do it. Um, so, Paul composts all his leftover cooked food, scraps of bread, meat, etc., by using composting worms and containers. Yeah. And he's gone to the bother of, and thanks indeed for sh- for drawing out how the containers are stacked. Um, it's a great success. There's no vermin can get in due to the tiny holes for air and for the worms to get through the container to container and you can purchase these particular worms um from a couple of different companies, I think. So can we read out to the listeners, which we're doing, and give it to you, which we're also doing now for next time. Um
1: for so for waste food. Yeah. For any cook food. So
0: we have we have three we've three we've three pots here as such, yeah. and they're stacked, Um and they're made from wood. And we fill the bottom pot with food and the worm is composted and when it's full Put on pot two and start to fill that. Worms will climb up through the holes of the one in on the bottom into number two, and then start the, the process again. And no. exact, exactly, exactly
1: yeah. like worms yeah. in the in the uh, the earthworms, they actually eat. Or, uh, dead matter, organic matter and mm. put it through their system, system and it comes out yeah. as, as, as com- fantastic compost, compost, really, really rich.
0: And I suppose the fact that you have the pot, the stacking pots means that when pot number one on the bottom is composted, full. is full, you can just lift it off, use your compost Absolutely. and then the process is, the cycle, the cycle continues and, you the know, when it's, yeah. into the well, next yeah. Layer.
1: So traditionally Quite clever. Comp- Traditional composting, as we do with with kind of grass clippings and leaves mm. and kitchen waste, um, in the compost bins, and um, it kind of erases, yeah, yeah, yeah. In that situation, you use uncooked foods, but all the kind of peelings and tea leaves and eggshells and all of that sort of things, shredded newspapers, can all go into that, and and really a good mixture for for food waste, uh, cook food where vermin may be a, a concern certainly the wormeries work really well. Now, the one tip I'd say to people is not to use too much fatty foods because worms will not break down too much. A small bit of meat or a small bit of, of, uh, you know, cooked, whatever it may be, ham or whatever is fine, but not to any great excess. And also when you're putting in the food, put it in in small amounts. You've got to give the worms time to actually uh, break go it down, through, yeah. yeah. So it's a, it's a, it can be a relatively slow process. So you've got to build up the colony of, of worms, and they're they're actually tiger worms. Right. Or if you go into your local fishing shop, the worms that are sold uh, for fishing are actually very good for wormery as well. Or if you know somebody that has a wormery, you can get a handful or a bucketful of the worms with the compost to start off a new wormery. So exactly like Paul says, any container that has good drainage so you need to drill a couple of holes in the mm. plastic container an old um, you know the storage containers that they use for clothes those kind of plastic yeah. big Tupperware, that would be absolutely perfect uh, but build up the levels of food very very slowly until you get the whole thing working really, really well, well and then you can add in and, and cut down on the fatty, fatty okay. foods a little bit
0: because no more than for ourselves the fatty foods uh, don't the, f- the, wor- yeah, the, worms the worms find them d- yeah, difficult yeah, to digest sense, so they tend
1: course. to leave that food yeah. and that again can start to rot, rot. and start to okay
0: that's you know.
1: where I think it's yeah. like, yeah, fantastic a great way and you can always have a few worms for fishing as well <laughs>
0: if, you're, if you're into the fishing if you need yeah. them
1: yeah well, great tip okay. and look at it, it's a great time of year to start composting as people are coming back into to cutting their lawns and, and weeding the gardens and so on Great time You've to start start a compost heap.
0: Lovely stuff. Now, um, question from Roy, wondering about snakehead fritillaria. Oh, well, is it, done. Is that's it, well pronounced. Thank you so much. I got, <laughs> got no coaching in advance. So fritillaria, <laughs> yeah. the snake,
1: beautiful plant. This is this is a plant grown from a bulb. It's actually planted in the autumn, so they're generally available when we plant snowdrops and tulips and daffodils. Fritillaria, um It's actually it's in the lily family, but it's got nodding heads, and and there's actually a relationship to Christ, um, my understanding of it, I think the story goes, now. I'm, oh. I'm going off the top of my yeah. head here, but my understanding is that the, the flower it, they say that the flower drooped over as Christ passed, and the flowers are unusual in that they're speckled this kind of um, like the, the the blood of Christ, has, has hit the flower. So it tends to have either a purple or white flower mm-hmm. <clears throat> with speckles, little speckles, often in red um, or deep purple. Um, so the story goes from memory that, that the Fritillaria, uh, its head drooped over and oh. the, Christ, the blood of Christ actually um, speckles. Uh, speckles the flowers. So it has that relationship. But, um, but anyway, in terms of a garden plant, it's a beautiful little thing. It only grows to about a foot in height. And yep. um, these nodding flowers, which come in a whole range of different colours, it is a perennial bulb, like snowdrops, and will fall, form a cluster of bulbs together in flowers at this time of year. Mm. So as we come into April, um, the only way to plant it at this time of year is to get potted bulbs. To get them actually, that they're being potted up right. in the autumn, and they're in flower at the moment. So check in your local garden centre. They may have some of the snakehead fritillarias. And um, there are the imperial fritillarias, which are a different. Bigger. They're in the same family, but they grow three feet high mm. and far more, as the word s- suggests, imperial. They're really big. Um, I was so going to say vulgar regal. flowers. but oh. They're not <laughs> vulgar. They're actually very dramatic, Rush. very big, you know. Ivy showy. F- showy is the word, yeah. So the the little snakehead Fritillaria is dainty, lovely in a rockery or a border. It needs free draining snow, soil. Very similar to where you grow snowdrops mm. and similar in height. Yes. Um, whereas the imperial Fritillaria is a far bigger uh, bulb. But both are planted as bulbs in the autumn and then come into flower at this time of year in terms of the snakehead. And the imperial uh, Fritillaria flowers more May, early June sort of period. But a lovely plant excellent I highly recommend plant
0: now roses a listener loves roses wondering yeah, as we all do. What types can they grow in pots on the patio? They have a small garden and they'd like some different colours, Ah, yeah. Well, they're available at
1: the moment. It's a great time, first of all, for planting roses. So, first of all, while we're talking about roses, if listeners haven't pruned their roses, which some people haven't, get out there and get them pruned and get them fed and get them kick-started. In terms of planting, again, uh, this is the time of year in April. Uh, Certainly, as the ground starts to dry up, to start planting roses. They are frost-hardy so they can go out into the garden soil. In containers, go for the patio roses and they're Rose varieties that only grow to about a foot or 15 inches in height. They come into flower in June and will flower the whole summer long. Two varieties there's one called the Scarlet Patio Rose, and as you can guess, it's a red, double mm-hmm. red flowering variety. It's scented, it's easy to grow, a nice glossy foliage, and there's a yellow version of that as well. You can also grow a rose called Precious Amber, which, as the name suggests, is a amber or orangey colour colour, kind of orangey bronze colour really nice variety precious amber scent it it only grows two feet in height so it's perfect in a pot um, and very easy to grow and it will flower this year if planted now another one that you'll like is one called Mum in a Million (laughs) brilliant Rose
0: (laughs) now now you have me I'm going to have to get that one it's one you
1: definitely have to get so, Mum and a Million is a super rose. It's got double pink flowers, glossy foliage. It grows a little bit taller, about two and a half feet in height. So, about that sort of height. Right. Big, blousy, um double pink flowers that are highly scented. So that's one called Mum Mum in a Million. It's a really good one for containers uh, as well. But look at a lot of roses like Trumpeter with suit containers as well. The shorter stemmed roses, patio roses or the shorter, more bedding roses. Mm. But this is the time to plant them. There's hundreds of varieties available. Same with climbing roses. Again, this is the time to plant them. Um, So roses in the garden, prune them, feed them, um, start to look after them now, but also in terms of planting them. Is the time of year to get them into the garden uh, soil or into pots?
0: Yeah, and those ones, the mm. pots, then they can really they can stay in the pots. They don't need to be planted out afterwards or anything Particularly patio do they?
1: roses, they don't, and yeah. on varieties like pressure amber because they're mm. more a bedding rose. They're not okay. a vigorous right. rose. So, so they
0: need the better protection of the
1: pot. Yeah, it. so the pot is absolutely perfect for them. Mm. They're never going to be overly vigorous. So mm. scarlet uh, patio and, and yellow patio only grow literally a foot in height, and they'll never be too vigorous. They never grow any taller than that. You mm. prune them exactly like the traditional rose in the in the autumn, early winter. Feed them the same way. So they're perfect for pots or containers and lovely on a patio for a bit of colour.
0: Now, let's talk about rhubarb as well. There's a, a fairly detailed question here um, about rhubarb. It's, it, it was planted in 2015, just last year. So okay. it's growing really well. Right. And um, can I pick it now is the first part of the question. Right. Also, the name of it is something early. And is there still time to plant a different type for some variety or do I plant in the autumn? Also, what should I feed them? Okay. So Rhubarb. Right.
1: Well, let's take it. So in terms of planting, yes, you can. You can still plant. Rhubarb would be available in garden centres at the moment for planting. The trick is to l- l- allow it to grow in its first year. Feed it well, look after it, water it well, and then start to crop it in its second year. The fact that this was planted in 2015, it's got a good year under its belt. So you could start to take some of the stems now. Not a whole lot, but several stems between now and the end of May. You can crop it. The variety the listeners talking about is one called Timberly Early, which is one of the very first... Um, Red sticked rhubarb that you can crop. So you can pick it from normally about the middle of March, St. Patrick's Day, you can start to harvest it and harvest it right up until the middle of May, to the end of May. You could also plant to this time of year a variety called pink. Champagne, which is a pinker stem, very, very sweet and very nice variety, very easy to grow and crops a little bit later than Timberley Early. So planting the two of them together is a really good idea. You're extending your rhubarb cropping period. Um, In terms of feeding them, they are hungry feeders. So put on something like the Osmo Pro 6 or a good vegetable uh, fertilizer like Grow now. Apply now and repeat in four to five weeks' time because the main growing period for rhubarb is now. Uh, you know, it's been growing over the last three to four weeks. You could have even fed it a little bit earlier. So feed it well. Feed it twice in the year, now and again in about a month's time. You can plant varieties like um, Timberly Early or Pink Champagne now to extend the growing season. Have I covered the question? I I think
0: you have. Yeah, and yes, a
1: great time to plant. I mean, you know, but if you are planting rhubarb, don't allow it. Don't pick it in its first year. Okay, lovely
0: stuff. Now, how can I separate a border bed from the lawn for easy lawn mowing? Okay, I know what you're trying to do there. I'd be battling that one myself. Well, the
1: (laughs) easiest thing is to put down a um, a brick on its side, and you can allow the wheel of the lawnmower then to To run along that, and then you're cutting the edge and keeping it neat and trim. So, um, a small brick, literally, or, or concrete edge at the same level of, well, of as, the soil yeah. so that you're running along the edge of it is probably the easiest way. You can also get plastic... Uh, border barriers. Right. Uh, but the grass tends to grow up cool, against yeah. those and you need to get out your strimmer and strim and them. The easiest thing is just a little brick along the so edge of have the So you want to kind
0: of flush really. Just flush that?
1: with the mm. exactly the same level as the soil so the blade just runs along that or the wheel of the mower runs along that and that keeps it
0: neat and tidy. Now basil always basil, one yeah. that ca- often causes difficulties in Ireland for growing. Um, <clears throat> you mentioned basil. Um, this person finds it hard to grow outdoors. They don't have a glass house okay. and they're wondering would there be other types of basil they can grow that are Hardier.
1: Right, well, the hardiest one of all is is actually a variety of mint called mint basil, Mm -hmm. and it produces leaves. I think I brought it in last year. Yes, I remember. Basil like leaves that taste similar to basil, not as not as good a flavour as, as, as the traditional rice, basil, yeah. but it is a variety. It's totally hardy out of doors, So that's mint basil. It's available now. I'd advise really planting it in a pot or container or window box because mm. it tends to spread, but it's totally frost hardy. It's a perennial plant. It'll come back year after year. So look for that one in your local garden centre. Mint basil, it should stay, stay on the label. Plant it now. You can crop it this year so you can pick the leaves from May onwards. Um, if you want to grow the, the true basil, then there's a lovely variety called Crimson King that you grow on the windowsill indoors. Right. But the traditional basil needs that protection of a greenhouse tunnel or your, your, in, your, your windowsill, your kitchen window indoors. So maybe consider the mint basil. I go with that, actually, and put it into a pot and you've got great tasting, okay. tasting leaves all summer long no. and next year again.
0: Uh, somebody listened to you. You were on with Jerry Glennon last um, week. Was yeah, or the week before, yeah. Uh, and so there was a part of the discussion uh, featured Japanese knotweed. Yeah. So this listener has it in their garden Ooh, at the I back, uh, but they're afraid it'll spread. When should, and uh, what? Should we use to stop it in its tracks? Okay,
1: do you know the plant? <laughs> Japanese knotweed. <clears throat> You'll know it. Or you, I probably cultivated it I myself
0: in my back garden.
1: <laughs> well, there you go. Well, if you have it.
0: <laughs> Unbeknownst <clears throat> to myself.
1: <laughs> it's a plant called, it actually comes to us from Japan. Um, yeah. Japanese knotweed. It's uh, Fallopia japonica. Okay. So japonica gives us the indication it comes from Japan. Fallopia, it's named after the, um, from memory, it's named after the doctor that that did all the work on fallopian tubes. Oh, right. So it's tube-like or bamboo-like. Um, it's a plant that grows certainly two to three meters in one year it, it's herbaceous so you don't see it at this time of year but it starts to appear about the middle of april and grows extremely rapidly like a bamboo would grow it flowers in july october and um, and white kind of starry like flowers that flower over a very long period it's one of these plants that were introduced into europe a hundred years ago i think in 1850 or 1840 type mm-hmm, of thing mm-hmm. by a dutch botanist and uh, it has spread since then and it has become an invasive weed and is it is on the invasi- invasive species now. This, right. So it's one that you need to, if you have it in the garden, you need to get rid of it because uh. it can lift termocadum, concrete. Oh, right. Right, it's yeah. one of those plants. It's not just
0: that, where it's going to take go <clears> over other no. plants. And it yeah. spreads
1: by underground stems. It, it, the flowers are actually sterile. There are no male, I was saying this to Jerry. he found it fascinating, it's all female. So the, 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 the plant that was brought from Japan to... Was, was a female was a female variety and from holland it has spread all over europe into britain and from britain into ireland it was actually brought to britain as a fodder crop for sheep and cattle right. and goats because it's edible mm, you can actually eat, it. it looks like asparagus when it starts to grow it's got these little red um small bamboo-like stems that come through the soil. So uh-huh. it's very like a kind of a coarse version of asparagus. But, and it is edible. But, um, you, you know, it's more suitable, I think, to, to um, for, for cattle and, and sheep and so on. So it was brought to Britain as a, as a, as a, as a, as a fodder crop. crop. They planted it a lot around the Welsh, uh, around the, the coal mines for, to stabilise the soil because it has such an extensive root system. Mm. So the roots and the stems spread by underground um system and that's the way it spreads so if you've got it in your garden it's going to start to spread and it's too early to start treating it now the time that it's most susceptible to weed killers is when it's in flower which will be july so my advice really is to allow it to grow don't be tempted to spray it as soon as it appears because there isn't enough foliage on the plant allow it to come into growth allow it to flower in july then treat it with something like sbk sbk um Weed killer, which is a, a is suitable for more tougher weeds, you know things like brambles and nettles and briars and uh, you know the more woody type Japanese knotweed, uh, Gunnera. So SBK uh, weed killer. Apply that in July. You can also inject the hollow stems with um, something like Weed Free Three Hundred and Sixty. Then they've found that very effective as well, actually, because the stems are hollow, because they're like bamboo, right.
0: Yeah,
1: um, it's a good way of getting the weak. out not get
0: down into it.
1: Yeah, it takes about two or three years to eradicate it from a garden. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a um, big project. It is. So it's something <coughs> to actually not neglect. Mm. Get rid of it. If it's in the back garden, get rid of it if you can. My advice really is to allow it to grow this year, treat it then in July, um, and you do the same thing next year again. Eventually you'll weaken it and it'll die away. So that's Japanese Japanese knowledge. You will know it if it's in the garden because it grows so fast, like a bamboo stem, and it literally grows two metres, six feet, seven meters Oh, of course I didn't speak. Uh, you'll see actually cr- some of it on the way to the radio station up through, um, as we're leaving Morris on the, the right hand side. Mm-hmm. You won't see it at this time of year, but certainly at the end that's of April, you'll see it starting to grow. grow. And also on the way into Ballinrobe, I've noticed it, and all down r- round Mulrani and right. Akko. It's, it's, um,
0: it's fairly prevalent.
1: It is. Love by bees.
0: Okay, so you see, oh, every, every plant has its use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. anyway,
1: so that's Japanese not We do eradicate it though. If you've got it in the garden, it's something not to
0: neglect. Not to neglect. Okay. Now, carrots. How come last year I had a carrot fly on one type of carrot and not on another? Both types were grown in the same soil and same location. I purchased the Thompson and Morgan seeds. I'm puzzled. I love the way, I love the comments today, <laughs> the, way the questions okay, are coming well, in. Well, the carrot root fly
1: normally attacks carrots during <coughs> May, mm. during late April, May, particularly as we're thinning out the carrots, When because you're excreting the scent of the carrot. And the carrot root fly comes in, they're, again, they're female, they come in on the scent of the carrot and they lay their eggs at the base of the carrot and the, the larvae hatch out and that's actually what does the damage. The larvae then enter the, um, the root of the plant there are varieties that are are less sensitive so there's two varieties one called flyaway which is actually in the thompson morgan family and there's another one called resist to fly and both of those are bred to be unattractive to the carrot root fly so if you grow both of those or if the listener had grown any of those certainly you'd have far less and possibly no damage on that particular crop so you know, more, some varieties are more susceptible the traditional varieties like early nantes are, can certainly suffer from um, carriage root fly you can treat with the um, super nemos in May if you wish or you can cover the crop with a very fine netting which keeps the fly off the plants or indeed you can sow the seed of fly away or that a very good variety called Resistafly. The basic difference is Resistafly is a a longer carrot. It grows to about six inches deep. Um, it's As we call it, it's got a blunt end, so it's easier to peel. It's a very good variety. Um, Normally, you'd crop it in August, September. So Resistafly or Flyaway are bred to resist or to be unattractive to the carrot root fly because they don't have the same pungent smell off the foliage. Um, And it may be one of those varieties you grew last year. Okay. So there's another really good variety called Eskimo. Which is um, suitable for sowing midsummer and is more a winter carrot. And again, because it's you're cropping it in the winter, winter. the carrot will fly nice, tends not to be a problem. So look for resistor fly, fly away, or Eskimo. There are three very good varieties to sow. And again, it's too early yet to sow carrots, it's too cold. So leave okay, it until so things warm up.
0: Warm up, yeah, okay not. Might be another two not, weeks. Not tonight, or so. anyway, not that's tonight. for sure. No, no, no. Um, one more and we'll just take a quick break then can we use the zero on shrubs or hedging asks Josie
1: well it depends what Josie wants to use it for but zero I presume is used, it's for moss yeah it's, it's used to kill moss in lawns now you can you can put it on deciduous shrubs um, so if you had spireas or hydrangeas with moss in them you could certainly use it I wouldn't use it on evergreen <laughs> right. uh, plants so really the zero is to be used to kill moss in the lawn that's the, the, its main purpose
0: have, um, have we an option for if it is an evergreen plant that, um, and you we could use
1: um, a, a tree treatment Called Green Up, Green Up, which again uh, can be used on the stems, again just to apply it to the stems of the. What shrubs are they again? Uh, uh,
0: sorry, I beg your pardon. Now uh, it's uh, shrubs or hedging, oh not, right, just but not yes. Yeah, general, yeah. not So, say so was beech hedging,
1: certainly that f- you could use the zero on that because mm. it's deciduous. Um, but if it's an evergreen hedge like laurel, then just leave it alone, really, the moss won't, won't have any effect on it.
0: Okay. I have a couple of email questions, Porik, as yeah, well, and sure some of them are, are a bit on the detailed side. Let's go to Sean's one first. So this is a uh, great. Title: Dig or No Dig. Um, I always hi Porik. I always di- did over my raised beds before planting. But I was reading lately that many people advocate a no dig policy and report great results from it. It certainly would save a lot of hard work. What side of the fence are you on, dig or no dig?
1: <laughs> I like the I like the no dig option. Isn't it great? <laughs> We're all and, into
0: no dig. And let me you know you.
1: W- when but, you think about it, like digging the soil. I remember as a student in the Botanic Gardens, we used to spend the whole winter digging the veg garden and incorporating organic matter. And that was the chore for two or three months. You got fed up of it. Um, But so you look at, that was the traditional way of digging the soil, incorporating organic matter. And certainly for new vegetable gardens, I would advocate that. And There's nothing like putting in organic matter um, before planting. But having said that, if it's an established uh, veg garden or, or area, the no-dig policy is very works really well. And that simply means you don't dig the soil over. You don't till it up. Right. You don't fork it over to any great depth. Um, you can give it certainly a light scuffling over and you're doing a certain amount of digging, obviously, when you're planting the plants. So if you're planting potatoes, for example, you're going to be scooping out the soil anyway and you can incorporate some organic matter. But definitely the no-dig um, policy and, and, and method has has a lot of traction now, uh, particularly with the um, grow your own Movement and and really it's leaving the beds un undug during the winter period. Maybe growing something like a green manure crop or putting some organic matter on the surface of the soil in the autumn and allowing the worms to take that down. Because naturally enough, when you're digging the soil, you're break you're you're deconstructing the natural drainage that the earthworms have created. Mm. So if you've got good draining soil then the no-dig policy is, is, is absolutely works really well. On. And you in the autumn, use the opportunity to put on garden compost or organic matter mm. um, as a mulch on the top of the surface of the soil. And the worms will work on that over the winter and bring it down through the soil. And to a certain degree, you're going to be digging it anyway, as I mentioned, when you're, um, when you're if, if you're putting potatoes or you're planting in cabbage plants or lettuce plants mm. or whatever, there's a certain amount of digging you're going to do. But certainly I would favour the no-dig, particularly on established gardens where the drainage is good, good. and the soil is well-established. Lovely. It's easier too. It's easier. (laughs) (laughs) You know, for example, like on raised beds, when people put in raised beds, they tend not to do a lot of digging on them. They might put a new layer of compost on the top of them or add some fertilizer in the autumn, as I said, but they're not digging up the soil to any great depth.
0: Good stuff. Now, Barbara is uh, over near Roundstone and uh, she's got two questions okay, okay, now they're fairly detailed so uh, first of all let to do with camellias had it for about 10 years usually flowers spectacularly but a few months ago something started eating the leaves just like a leaf cutter ant would and it's not had a single flower this year it doesn't look like slugs as they've never bothered it before um, she can't see anything eating it no caterpillars or anything else she's gone out at night time oh. <laughs> and had a look around and dug around the top layer of soil to see if there's any underneath still can't see anything she's got several other camellias and they haven't been bothered okay. so wondering no what's the attached, problem no, no, no picture okay, that's attached fine. that's fine no. and
1: maybe, maybe if Barbara wants to send uh, the email okay. back in with a couple of pictures on it what it sounds like to me okay. is uh, the female vine weevil uh, which eats U shaped notches out of the leaves, particularly of camellias, rhododendrons, um, any of those evergreen plants, azaleas. So you see this typically U shaped notch like a leaf, leaf mm, cutter ant. Um, and it's taken out, they, they, they feed at night time and it's not so much the adults that do a whole lot of damage. I mean, a small bit of munching on a leaf doesn't cause a whole lot of damage. Yeah. It's the larvae that can actually create a lot of problems uh, with with the vine weevil. But if Barbara wants to send me in a picture, I'll know straight away by looking at it. Now, if it is vine weevil, there is a treatment that you can put into, the camellia's in a pot, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, said a pot.
0: I've used a, a camellia which... Yes, it's in a pot. I so, think so. Well, whether it's, it's in a big p- container, yes. Right, so yeah. it's in
1: a pot. So there is a treatment that you can use that lasts up to three months. Um, you simply mix it with water, you pour it into the actual container. The this the plant absorbs it in its system, and any pest that comes onto the foliage is treated, including aphids, including vine weevil, including a whole range of, of pests. And it's particularly good for camellias because it's working within the system of the plant, so it's like an anti biotic working working within within the system system. of the plant and that controls. Um, So that's a systemic insecticide. You simply mix it up in water, you apply it to the container through the watering can, the plant absorbs it and any pest that comes on the plant. Now it's only to be used on ornamental plants, so obviously not edible because it's going to be in the system of the plant, but particularly for rhododendrons, azaleas, camellias, any of those plants um, that will be certainly Very good. The other thing you'll find with camellias, 10 years in a pot is a long time. Um, So (coughs) it may be getting a bit, uh, you know, it may be outgrowing the container. And particularly in round stone, you've got that lovely acid soil, Mm. which camellias like. Maybe consider moving it into a a part of the garden maybe as well.
0: And the fact that it's in the container then, would that be uh, indicating why it's not spreading to other other uh, well, plants is, it, yeah, is well, that vine weevil will, is, if is, it is soil based. Uh, is well, it? They're,
1: they're they're actually little. They're like a little beetle. Yeah. And they you find them on the under the under the sides of the pots. Right. That cling to the walls. They're nocturnal. They okay. come out at night time. They're difficult to see, um, but they typically leave that U-shaped munch out of the, the the outer extremity of the leaf, leaving that just a little munch all the way along the leaf. So it's very distinctive okay. when you see it, uh, and particularly camellias suffer from vine weevil. Um,
0: okay. Now, Barbara has a second part what? to her question, yeah. so we'll, we'll come to that as well. Um, so, it's to do with the Fatsia japonica. Yeah, quite plant. large, about 12 years old. Leaves well, are me. continually turning black, though. Uh, still throws out new ones, despite this problem. Um, okay. well, 12 now, years old, she I remember. thought yeah. it might be a fungus and sprayed it, but to no avail, tried to cut off the blackened leaves. Still quite, it's in a quite poorly drained area. Uh, wondering then if that might be the reason.
1: Yeah, well, Fatsia japonica, it's a super plant. It has fantastic, big, sh- um, palm shaped leaves. Leaves. I mean, they're massive, great, fantastic green colour, retains the foliage over winter. And it is a plant in roundstone because it's so mild along the western seaboard. Fatsy in a sheltered garden does really well. Now, over the winter period, it does pick up uh, blackening of the leaves due to weather conditions more mm-hmm. than anything else. Now, free draining, it does require free draining soil. So having it in, a, in a, a poorly drained area is not going to do it any favour and will knock it back in the winter time, it'll go very yellow. You get blackening on the foliage, exactly like Barbara describes. The fact that it's 12 years there, I wouldn't go moving it now. Right. Um, I really, I think maybe, maybe plant a young plant somewhere else in the garden. It does super in containers and it comes in a lovely variegated form nowadays. It's a modern variety, um, Fatsia japonica variegata. It's got a variegated white and green leaf. It's less vigorous, so it's more suitable for containers or pots. Uh, and again, it can be grown out of doors. So, unless you can improve the drainage around it, I think you're still going to get that blackening every winter. And to to a degree with Fatsia, you always get a bit of blackening anyway, in any garden. I have not grown in my own garden in every winter, it gets black leaves, you cut them off, you give it a feed, it produces a fantastic new canopy of foliage again during the summer and next winter again it always picks up because physically the leaf is nearly a foot in diameter. Mm. So it's getting hailstones, it's getting snow like today and it it does pick up that. It is a slightly tender plant mm. um, and in the winter of 2010 a lot of fatsias has died out of doors. It's often grown as an indoor plant as well but will survive out of uh, uh, in in the garden, particularly in free draining soil. A great plant for shade, you've got shade in the garden it's a really super plant it does really well uh, both the variegate form and the green form so my advice really is feed it now I wouldn't go moving it because it's 12 years in the same location maybe possibly think consider planting a a younger plant or a new plant somewhere else in the garden
0: and kind of finally would you like the the garden she says is very boggy and it's rocky finds it difficult to find trees and plants that suit it apart from gunneras and alder okay, trees. Okay and
1: gunneras is, is the old um, wild cabbage or wild the gunnera manikata yeah. that grows wild in uh, places like Ackle It can be, become a pest really. if okay. it, It's a bit like our friend the, the Japanese. It, not not I'm not suggesting you plant that either. <laughs> Plants that do well in in wet areas are things like the dogwoods, the cornices do really well. They have fantastic red stems, yellow stem varieties, green stem varieties. They tolerate wet conditions. They will tolerate their feet in water. The lovely Arum lily. The white, you know, the lily, oh, the big yeah. white lily, yeah. loves being with its feet in water, does really well in boggy soil. It's, it's actually a plant that will grow in ponds if you allow it. Willow would also grow. There are many different forms of willow, both shrub forms and tree forms. So there is a range of plants that will tolerate boggy um, wet okay. conditions. Um, and the great thing you have in, in roundstone is the mild...
0: Conditions yeah.
1: and also the acid soils. So there's lots of other plants. Hydrangeas should actually do quite well there as Things well. Things
0: that you mightn't get uh, yeah. growing in other locations. Exactly,
1: exactly. Like the Fatsi is a great example. You know, it grows very well there.
0: Mighty. Now, um, finally, on the emails, John is in Newport. He's got an issue with poor lawn drainage. Okay. So he's wondering, have you come across dry stream beds and/or ponds as a possible solution?
1: As kind of a drainage uh, probably <gasps> yeah,
0: a solution. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm. I'm. I'm yes. That's. Yeah. He, well, he's got a problem with flooding at the minute. Or with a lot of uh, many, 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 heavy soil. And as many
1: lawns do this year, particularly after such a mm. wet uh, winter, uh, to improve the drainage, the two things that, that I find effective is either putting in a couple of land drains and the addition of lots of gravel into the soil. And grass grows generally three to four inches deep. The roots don't penetrate any further than mm. that. So you need to improve the drainage um, in the top kind of 12 inches of the soil. So the addition of some small land drains drained into a pond area, if you wish. So you could have a, a water feature, a pond dairy at the bottom of the garden with the drainage running into that. But also the addition, the rotivating of uh, pea gravel into the top layer of the soil, into that six or eight inch layer of the soil, uh, particularly during the summertime. Now that means getting rid of the lawn that's there, um, adding in a lot of, of pea gravel, literally rotivating that into that top layer of the soil and putting in a couple of land mm. drains that may dr- flow into a dry riverbed or a uh, pond area is an excellent idea. And that will help the drainage. And once you improve the drainage, you improve things like moss problems, rushes in the lawn, um, the old ranunculus, you know, that, that that thrive on moisture.
0: But I suppose in terms of the, say you are going to create a pond to deal with, you know, some of your, yeah. your, your excess water, it's important to put in that land drainage first. Or to put in the draining channels you will need because the drainage, yeah. otherwise it it will oh, yeah. just the sit there. will just sit It won't, won't, it won't naturally Absolutely. flow into the pond that's for you. That's exactly it. Yeah.
1: You know. You know. That's exactly it. Um, you know. People often worry, wonder. They're living hmm. on top of a hill and why they don't have good drainage because the soil conditions. If it's if it's not porous, it's not going to let the, let the water it'll run flow. away, uh, whether you're on a hill or not.
0: Now, what is the name of the evergreen shrub that has the fuchsia-like flowers in April and May? It's in my mother's garden for years, big red drooping flowers.
1: And it's evergreen. Yeah. Evergreen. That's uh, Crinodendron hookerianum. <laughs> it's the <laughs> I'm uh, It's the uh, Chinese lantern. Chinese I just, yeah, lantern. Chinese yes. lantern. Crinodendron. It's got um, dark green leaves, long kind of slender leaves and the flowers are like a fuchsia. Yeah. So they're, they hang down off the plant. A lovely plant great plant for roundstone, for example now there's a really nice plant for uh, particularly mild areas so that's crinodendron easy to grow it'll grow to about six feet in height about six feet in width keeps the leaf all year round and then the flowers the actual flower embryos the bu- the buds are on it in the autumn and they come into flower in april and may so super plant okay good time to plant it at this time of year
0: somebody wondering is it too cold to sow early potatoes at the moment Vincent? well it's too
1: wet at the moment yeah. Like if, for people that have planted potatoes say in March that's fine they're going to do okay even with this bit of snow and cold weather they'll be perfectly okay the soil will insulate them over the next couple of weeks um, so you know the conditions I would wait on things dry up a little bit so put your early seed potatoes sprouting keep them on a bright windowsill in a garage um, allow the young sprouts to develop so they should be small and stubby and purpley green in colour and then plant them out in a couple of weeks time as, as the weather improves or else put them into raised beds or else put them into containers at this time of year. Okay. But you can certainly plant them once the, gr- the soil conditions are workable.
0: Now a question on lupins and lupin colours. Okay. One, somebody wondering, uh, do they only come mm. in mixed colours? Um, they have a lot of pale coloured lupins in their borders which they sowed from seed. They like to plant some more but can they get specific colours, only reds or blues?
1: Oh, you can, you can, you can, you can. Generally, <laughs> you can, in the seed packets, you got to coordinate your lupins. You can generally in the seed packets they're sold as maybe a mix range mm. of colours. Um, so if you want to add some deeper colours, things like the Governor is a blue variety. The Governor, think of that. It's yeah. a purpley blue uh, colour, which is really nice. And um, there's another variety called Masterpiece, which is a deep pink, a really uh, rich pink colour. And if you want a red, there's one called Gallery Red. So Gallery Red, great Masterpiece and The Governor. So you can buy specific colours if you want. Um, they're they're sold as plants now at this time of year and uh, they will come into flower. If you buy the plants strong enough, big enough, they'll come into flower now in, in May, okay. April and May.
0: Somebody wondering, is Star of Bethlehem easy to be got?
1: Yeah, it's Star of Bethlehem is is Campanula, a um, lovely plant. Um, it's coming into flower at the moment. Mm. So um, lovely in a rockery, a border, a bed. You can, there is an indoor variety as well, but mainly for outside, it's grown as an alpine or rockery plant. If you want a plant, say, to trail over um, a rockery or a stone wall, somewhere that the, the soil might be quite shallow and you want something flowering, Star is a lovely plant. So that's Campanula, deep blue flower, nice green foliage. Um, I have grown at home on top of a pillar.
0: Oh, that sounds about, lovely. It's
1: only about four inches of soil. And it's yeah. there maybe six or seven years. Yeah. When we do get a dry spell, I have to remember to water, water it, it. But apart from that, it comes back year after year. So Campanula or Stara Bethlehem, great time to plant it.
0: Excellent. Pork, looking for an evergreen tree for my garden, not a conifer, but something that will hold its leaves in winter. Colour in the leaves if possible, easy to grow. My soil is generally good and the garden is not exposed or windy.
1: Okay, so a nice sheltered garden with good soil. Yeah, that so sounds like a rather, a rather <coughs> ideal That's conditions a perfect, to me. That's a perfect location. So, what have we got in evergreen? Well, the first thing that comes not to mind... Not an mo- evergreen. Is it evergreen?
0: Uh, look, oh, sorry. Sorry, I beg your pardon. No, sorry. Yes not, yes, not a conifer. Not a conifer. So yeah, they want
1: something evergreen to yeah, retain the yeah, foliage. Yeah, because yeah, most, most broadleaf trees, I suppose, drop their leaves. So what have we got in evergreens? You've got things like eucalyptus, which are lovely. There's two really nice varieties of eucalyptus. One called azuru, which is a bluey-purplish or bluey-greyish foliage. It's a lovely <laughs> plant, actually, for particularly for flower arranging. Um, but it retains the foliage all year round. Eucalyptus has that beautiful scent, smell, that eucalyptus smell. And... Um, very easy plant to grow, perfect in a sheltered garden. Azuru is a relatively small variety, so it'll grow to about 12 to 15 feet and retains its foliage 12 months of the year. Small, roundy leaves. Mm. Um, Another variety of eucalyptus is one called nipophilia, which has broader leaves, um, reddish young growth. So the new growth is reddish or brownish in colour. And then it's got that kind of greyish leaf. So the, so the eucalyptus is really good. You could plant, if you have plenty of space, evergreen oak. Um, Quercus ilex which um, is uh, retains its foliage all year round tree um, easy to grow it's in the oak family it produces the acorns as a mature tree so that that would be something nice as well Um, what else in in evergreen trees Arbutus unido which is the strawberry tree
0: oh that sounds interesting
1: native to Killarney it's actually a Mediterranean tree that that spread to Ireland. So we think when when all of Europe was joined together, oh, and I think we're from all
0: Brittany.
1: Yes, from from Brittany, I think it, it has come to to Ireland. But anyway, that's the strawberry, *Arbutus unido, um, *Arbutus* meaning shrub or tree, unido meaning only once, because it produces these lovely strawberry-like fruits in October. And they say if you eat them once, you won't eat them again.
0: Oh right, okay.
1: <laughs> so they are edible but Lost. but they're not they're not like a true strawberry but then it's a lovely shrub because it flowers and fruits in the autumn so the fruit takes a year to mature so you have the flowers on the plant and you've got the fruit on the plant uh, together in october november <gasps> or december sort of period um, it's totally evergreen it's got a lovely bark color as well mm-hmm. um, so that's one that's arbutus unedo the strawberry tree so strawberry tree evergreen oaks Uh, eucalyptus, maybe one of the hollies if you wanted, you know, something to grow a native tree, so something to grow maybe 8 to 10 feet in height one of the ornamental (laughs) hollies would work as well. So any of those would be would be quite
0: good. (laughs) We were talking about plastic containers earlier um, for the wormery. Um, Somebody wondering if you can use those deep plastic containers for storing clothes to plant potatoes and carrots. You can, of course
1: you can. Anything that will hold soil. Now, as long as there's plenty of drainage in them, that's the key thing. Um, So, of course you can. Old buckets, Tyres, I've seen potatoes grown in. Um, Tyres are great because you can actually, as, you're, as the plant is growing, you can put another tyre on top, as it were, and you're earthing up the potatoes. But any container will grow spuds for you. A plastic bag. I was on with Sean O'Rourke a couple mm. of weeks ago and he said to me he grows them in refuse sacks. Uh,
0: so. <laughs> so,
1: so anything that will hold a bit of compost will grow potatoes.
0: OK, lovely stuff. We're almost uh, coming to an end. We started uh, talking about Kilchamaw and I just see a little comment here, so we'll just finish with that part. Glad to hear Kilchamaw, tidy towns getting mentioned. They're credit to themselves in the town. Saw them out last night at half eight. The there difference they've made already. Thank you for your support. Well done to all involved and uh, we appreciate what you're doing. So that's obviously somebody within the locality. And you so know to all of the people, well done. New life in Kilchamaw. Lovely they're, they're, text. They're,
1: they're having great crack doing it. Dundee and, and his gang are having the best laugh ever. Uh, last Saturday morning chatting to them. Now, just before I finish, mm. next Saturday and Sunday, I'm running a Grow Your Own weekend in the garden centres. Uh, so in Turlock, I'll be giving a talk at half two next Saturday and Sunday. So I'll remind people next Saturday again. But um, if, they, if people want to ring and book a place, ring 314 That's the Turlock Gar- Garden Centre. And I'll be giving a talk on growing your own. So we'll be covering all the things like growing spuds and all Excellent. of that. So, so next the- Saturday and Sunday, uh, in Hawkins in, in Turtle Castle Bar. OK.
0: You have a good week and we shall talk to you Thanks, the Stay next week. All right. Take care. Thanks very much indeed, Porek. Stand by. Michael Neary coming your way with the very best in country classics after the news at 10 which is on the way next with Michael D. McAndrew from me for the moment. A very good morning and have a great weekend.